Welcome Pastor Todd as he comes this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord. Well, it's good to be in the house this morning. You know, last Sunday morning, we took up an offering for our trip team that is going to India. And we needed $17,300. And we received last Sunday morning, 17,370. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can't make that up. I mean, just look at that for a moment. So we're excited. Thank all of you for giving last Sunday morning. Praise the Lord. It is good to be here on Pentecost Sunday. Look at Acts chapter 1 this morning. Acts chapter 1. Verse 4 and verse 8. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I want to make some declarations this morning that I think need to be reiterated from time to time so that you know that I know that we know what we believe. So stand to your feet. It's good to be in the house of God on this Pentecost Sunday. On this Pentecost Sunday. Ashamedly, I admit to you, as a Southern Baptist pastor, I never celebrated this day. It was intimidating to me. I didn't understand it. I avoided it at all costs. To me, it was just another day. And did not understand why all my other church Pentecostal people made this a big deal but now I do. Now I do. Now we do. I just want to declare to you this morning that I just need to get a few things in the atmosphere about the Father. Our Father. And we sing about it this morning, God is good. Touch somebody and say, God is good. I believe that he's good all the time. And go ahead and say it, finish it. All the time he is good. Let's do it. God is good. 
All the time. And all the time, God is good. I believe that he's merciful. I believe that the Father is gracious. I also believe that he is the judge of all nations, all people groups. He has no equal. He is above all things. The mountains melt at whack, uh, like wax in his presence. Devils tremble. Sickness departs. When God comes, things change. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God who lived a perfect, spotless life. I believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And there is no other way. I believe that Jesus is coming back for his bride. I believe that Jesus is the baptizer with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I believe that the Holy Spirit, since we're celebrating him today, lives inside of every believer. The Holy Spirit is our paraclete, our helper, our guide, our teacher, our counselor, our leader, our protector, our comforter, come on now, and our inner voice. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that the Bible that you hold in your hand is the voice of God on paper. I believe that the Word of God is infallible, inerrant, unchanging, that it is ever constant, that it is a sword, it is a light, it is a mirror, and it is a medicine for our sick minds and sick souls. I also, since I'm declaring things like this, I believe in angels. I believe that they are here this morning. And I believe that there are demons. I'm not saying they're in this room this morning, but I do believe that they exist. There are angels in this room. Angels have been commissioned and are positioned in this place. I believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> As an experience and encounter after you are saved. I also believe in speaking in tongues. <clears throat> this is going to be fun in a moment. I, I, I believe in speaking in tongues. I'm not ashamed of it. I don't back away from it. I don't try to hide it. And I also believe that every believer should speak in tongues. And if you don't speak in tongues, it doesn't make you less saved. It just means that you're living beneath the privilege. I believe in all the gifts of the Spirit. I believe in every actuality manifestation of the Spirit. I believe in miracles. I believe there's fire on these waters. And I believe we're nowhere near the end of this move of God. Can somebody give the Lord a shout? Mm -hmm. I also believe that the greatest ministry in the church is prayer. I also believe that the most important thing 
Even above preaching the gospel and worshiping the king, I believe the most important thing we as a church body do is pray. I believe all the work of the Spirit, all of the work of the Spirit and its effectiveness hinges on prayer. I believe in sanctification of the believer. I believe in holy living. I believe it is possible to grieve the Spirit of God, to quench the Spirit of God. I believe it is possible to offend Him by our choices. I believe all those things. So, Lord, we welcome you. In this room this morning, we welcome you. We welcome what the Father does. We welcome what the Spirit does. We welcome what the Spirit does. We welcome every manifestation. We will not cover you, cloak you, put you in a room to hide you so that you don't offend anybody. Mm. Lord, you know better on how to lead my life, what needs to be upset, to be startled in my heart, what needs to be exposed, what needs to be manifested to me, oh Lord, you know exactly. So I invite the fullness, the full role of the Holy Spirit to be active in my life and in this room today with no limitations. And everybody said, so be it. You may be seated in the house. I feel better just getting a few of those things off my chest today. He is here today. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the most wonderful, precious encounter a believer can have outside of being born again. I remember as a Southern Baptist walking into that Pentecostal prayer meeting, four Pentecostal ministers were present I was the outlier, I was the elephant in the room, I was the nut that came for more, a little squirrel seeking for more. And on that day in September, my life changed. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not optional. It's a necessity. Even though we treat it as optional and you do have a choice, but it is a necessity. So much so that Jesus said to the disciples, don't go preach one message until you go to the upper room and until the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. John the Baptist said, there's one coming after me who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. But we as Pentecostals, and I'm not ashamed of that, sometimes I'm looking around and I'm looking at Pentecostal churches who change their names to be more attractive to the community. And then when you walk into a Pentecostal charismatic church, you don't know that it's Pentecostal and charismatic today because they 
have squelched the move of the Holy Ghost, the spontaneity of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are not in operation. There's not been a tongues and interpretation of tongues. There's not been a prophetic word. There's no or little laying on of hands, very few being healed. And uh, God forbid that there's a devil that manifests in a church service and they have to deal with it. I was talking to a pastor not long ago. In fact, just week, a short time ago, a, 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 there was a girl in the service a prophet was ministering, and the Spirit of God was so strong, it, a devil manifested in this teenager, and she started taking off her clothes in the service. Just started taking off her clothes. And the church knew what to do and handled the situation. The girl gets saved, born again, put in her right mind, and just this past week, when I was ministering at the church, was baptized in fire water. Come on, give him glory. But sadly, sadly, church people left. Said that scared me. I think sometimes church ought to be a little scary. I mean, some of us can set our clock on what's going to happen, when it's going to happen, and I'm out of here at a certain time so that I can get on with my life. There needs to be some divine Holy Ghost interruptions that startle us just a little bit. Like, I've never seen anything like that. And it, not, it ought not be uncommon for devils to manifest in a service like this. Pastor Marty, we were in um, Alto Global in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, just uh, three weeks ago. While you were sharing a testimony, and a, a young man began to manifest. Multiple times I've preached, and there's a devil that just gets upset. Well, we don't we don't stop the whole service because that's what the devil wants you to do. We just Y'all handle that in Jesus' name. Take care of that. Pull them out of the room because the devil wants to show. The devil wants to disrupt what God's doing. Command the devil to come out. Come back into the room sitting clothed in your right mind. That's, that's the way it ought to be. But, you know, I think sometimes we ought to leave a little shocked at what happened at church. Church can no longer be predictable. We're living in unpredictable times. You with me? This baptism with the Holy Spirit is a necessity in this day and time. Can I be saved without it? Absolutely. Can I go to heaven without the subsequent work of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. But getting there, it's like you have the capacity for an eight-cylinder engine and you never take advantage of it. I remember in, in, in my old car that I'm driving now that's 24 years old, bless God, 475,000 miles and still clicking, there's a little button at the bottom that says ETC power. I don't like to push it because it uses more gas. <laughs> but when you push the button, there's a little mm that comes to the engine. The Holy Spirit baptism is like pushing the e and, and, it, and it, it would be literally a tragedy to go through all your life having that 
right there at your disposal, a button and not take advantage of that. Well, I don't think I need it. You know, it's just fun sometimes to push the button. I know you may not need it, but it's fun to have the fullness of the Holy Ghost on the inside of you. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, the Bible talks about this baptism of fire. And then he says in verse 8, he says, when the Holy Spirit, everybody say when. It says, when the Holy Spirit, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not an experience to simply be cherished and a plaque or a trophy that you can put on the shelf or on the wall. It's not just a proclamation, I am baptized with the Holy Spirit because I had an encounter with the Lord. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is, now listen to my language, unto something. unto something. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not just so, oh, I go to Pentecostal church and I've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, check the box and move on. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is unto boldness. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is unto courage. You have to understand that the leader, Jesus, crucified the Roman Empire searching for every believer from house to house to arrest them, to stop the spreading of this false Messiah, the upheaval, if you will, of a governmental revolt. That's what the Roman Empire saw Jesus as. The religious community saw, the, saw Jesus as a threat to um, their empire that they have built. So both had an animosity to Jesus and his followers. And see, Jesus said, do not go from this place until you go to the upper room. Do not preach until you go to the upper room. And I'm going to clothe you, cloak you. I'm going to put upon you a, 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 a power. I'm going to baptize you, saturate you with the Holy Spirit. And this word literally means, power means the ability to die a martyr's death. The baptism of the Holy Ghost, as we are entering this season, this era, this decade, this, this portion of the millennial up until 2025, we must get back to the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It is not a feeling. It's not an encounter per se alone. It's not an experience. It's not chill bumps. It's not the hair on the top of your head sticking up. It is a baptism unto something. It is a baptism unto boldness. It is a baptism unto courage. It is a baptism unto strength. Now write this one down if you're taking notes. There's also a baptism unto purity. Uh -huh. Think about this for a moment. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a, an immersion of the Holy Spirit upon your life, in your life, coming up, flowing out of your life, upon your life, so that you and I can live a pure life. 
It is a baptism unto power. It is a baptism unto love. It is a baptism unto grace. It is a baptism unto mercy. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And watch this. And it's a baptism unto prayer. The evidence initially for the baptism of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. And speaking in tongues according to the scriptures here that even the Apostle Paul declares is a personalized prayer language. Do you hear what I'm saying? When you get baptized with the Holy Spirit, the initial evidence of that baptism is the ability to pray in another language. Now, will it manifest at that moment? It may or may not, but yet it's in you. I remember Karen as an independent fundamental Baptist got baptized with the Holy Ghost, but tongues did not come out of her. Why? Because all of her life she was told that this was of the devil. And then if you did it, you would catch a devil. And if you spoke it, you were spreading devils. I don't know. I mean, you know, it's just... And so she would get into a prayer meeting and she says, I want the ability to pray in the Holy Ghost. I want the ability to speak in tongues. I know that the Holy Spirit's inside of me. He touched me. He's here, but I can't get it from here to out there. And the reason is, it's not that she did not have the baptism, but there was a mental block. Because every time that she would begin, she would hear her pastor say, this is of the devil. And then the Spirit of God said, no, this is me. So over a nine-month period of time, we had to unpack that until one day she's in prayer and a friend of ours was on vacation, coming back from vacation, in fact, traveling home. The Lord said, get that gentleman to pray for you tonight at prayer meeting and I'll fill you with the Holy Ghost with you speaking in tongues. Isn't that funny how the Lord would do that? So he's driving home from Florida. Karen calls him, says, I'm en route. I'll try to be there at a Saturday night prayer meeting. And now we had two small children at that time, Ethan and Ty. And Karen said this, what am I going to do with my boys? And it wasn't no time until she got a phone call from a friend that said, I just don't know why, but I feel like I need to keep your kids tonight so that you can go to prayer. So she shows up at this prayer meeting and goes up to the individual and says, you're supposed to lay hands on me and pray for me. He puts his hand on her head and that independent fundamental Baptist, I watched for 45 minutes nonstop pray in tongues instantly, just like that. And ever since then, ever since then, ever since then, well, you guys know. Now, I want to say this, and I think, I think it's okay, and I think it's appropriate. Speaking in tongues is most often the initial evidence of being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, watch this but not the ongoing evidence of being filled with the Spirit. Yes, 
Now, everybody needs to take a picture of that. Speaking in tongues, in my opinion, is the evidence of being baptized by the Holy Spirit. Again, it may not manifest, but it's there. But we have equated speaking in tongues to being spirit-filled. And I'm coming against that a little bit today because I don't believe that speaking in tongues is evidence of remaining filled with the Spirit. Because we all know that we know tongue talkers that will cuss you out. But Spirit-filled people don't cuss you out. Because they're filled with the Spirit. You can talk in tongues in here and within five minutes leave this building and go completely bonkers. So just because you speak in tongues doesn't mean that you're spirit-filled. It means you had the initial encounter with the baptism of the Holy Ghost that manifested, one of the manifestations of that is speaking in tongues. Do you hear me? All right, does that make sense? So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is unto something, unto life, unto purity, unto holiness, unto courage and witnessing, and it is the gateway to the gifts of the Spirit, of understanding them and operating with them. Are you with me? Say Amen. My prayer this morning is this, that all of us get so filled with the Holy Spirit that we don't want to grieve him. The moment I compromise the conviction, there is a leak in my life. The moment things that used to bother me but do not bother me now is evidence that I'm not filled. I may be instead of here. That's why Ephesians chapter 5 talks about that we need to be filled and keep on being filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, I pray in tongues. I didn't ask you to pray in tongues. I'm asking, are you filled with the Spirit? See, Pentecost, well, they equate tongues to being filled. No, 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 no. Are you filled with the Spirit? Because there's a certain fruit that comes with that. There's certain manifestations that come with that. There's a certain purity and level of, of that. So my prayer this morning is that all of us would be so full of the Holy Ghost, we'd never want to quench him, we'd never want to grieve him, because that is possible in our lives, even in the midst of revival. I pray that we have his kingdom come mindset. Talk to me now. God, your kingdom come, your way, your desire for my life, your purpose for my life, your will be done in my life, your pleasure be done in my life.
and our prayer should be in the midst of a move of God, not, listen, I've got, I got a pastor here a moment, not seeing how much we can get away with and steal. How close to that line that we can get to and still host him well. Because 226 weeks into this, it will weigh on you mentally. The sacrifices in your life will become evident. And you'll begin to say, what can I do that is not as radical as this? And we need to ask that the Holy Spirit, God, do not let me lose grip of where I once was. And give him permission to infringe upon your kingdom. Your thoughts, your ways, your purpose, anything that I desire that grieves you, oh God, reveal to me and I'll be quick to repent. This gentleman right here and his wife, Elizabeth. You may not know him, but you should. He's dead. He died in 1956 in the 1950s because he had such a passion for Jesus. Jim Elliott was one of five men that decided because of all that Jesus had done for him that nothing was too expensive to give to the Lord or to pay to honor him with their life. Jim Elliott and his friends went to Ecuador and they wanted to minister to an unreached people group called the Aka Indians. Three years, he had ministered to another village close to the Aka Indians and led many of them to the Lord, but the Aka Indians were savages and would murder and kill anybody that would infringe upon their territory. So they decided that we were gonna take these three years and minister to this village, but our ultimate goal is the Aka Indians. Do you, do you? To befriend them, they would fly their plane over their area of, of their uh, domain and they would drop gifts on top of them through the plane. They'll just drop baskets of gifts and food and things. And they seemed to be making some type of headway and they landed their plane on a really small beach and they had food and a meal with some of the Alka Indians. 
They took off, went back to their home base, and the Aka Indians went to their home base, and they were thinking that everything was fine and everything was wonderful and everything was moving right along, and then they decided that they would come again. As they land their plane, no one comes. They're on one side of the river, but all of a sudden two women appeared. And so the five missionaries began to swim across the river to get to the two women. Then out of the woods, the forest, came tribesmen and began to throw their spears. Jim Elliott had a sidearm on and he reached down to grab it, but he remembered an oath that he took with the other four missionaries. They said, we would not take anyone's life who has yet to hear the gospel and we will die so that they may hear again. Puts the sidearm into his, into his holster and he dies. All five of them. In his journal, you may not be able to read that, but he wrote on October 28th, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. These men killed him. So Elizabeth was asked this question months after he died. How do you deal with Jim's death, the fact that he was brutally killed with a spear that day in the jungle? How do you deal with where he died, the way he died, and how do you handle that? A legitimate question. Elizabeth, his wife, responded, my Jim did not die in the jungle that day. My Jim died one night in high school while he knelt by his bed in agonizing, travailing prayer when he prayed this prayer. Jim's prayer. Lord Jesus, if you did all that you did for me that is written in that blessed holy book, then there is nothing I can do for you that will ever repay the debt I owe. So I commit myself here and now to go and do whatever you want me to do. I am yours. Do with me as you please. Elizabeth paused and looked him in the eye and said, that's where my Jim died. The 
The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a baptism of frills. It's a baptism of death. Over 27,000 people have come through these waters to be baptized here at the North Georgia Revival. Another 20,000 or 25,000 have been baptized outside the waters in different places. We've witnessed every miracle imaginable. I've watched people have dramatic encounters with the Lord, haven't we, church? And people will come up to me from time to time and they say, Pastor Todd, you know, we're thinking about this baptism thing. We want to do baptism in our church. Uh, we, want, we, want you to, we want to know what you share with the candidates before they're baptized. And I look at them in the eye and I go, okay, I can, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. What do you share? I say two words. Die well. Typically, I get a smile. And when my demeanor does not change, it goes from a smile to a nervous laugh. And then they say, are you joking? What do you mean, die? What do you mean? And when my expression doesn't change, because this is more than an event. It's an encounter. Not unto just peace. Not just unto a healing. Not just unto a relief. Not just unto more days. It's a baptism unto, unto death. May this church be known by how well we die. That there be such a stench in this room that the natural nose cannot pick up, but in the heavenlies, it is the smell of death. In the Old Testament, you'll find when they would add a sacrifice to the altar, they would take an animal and they would pour the blood out and then they would burn the animal's carcass, flesh on the altar. The Bible says that aroma of burning flesh would ascend to the Father and it would be a sweet-smelling aroma to him. The more death God smells in this house coming from these altars and emanating from those waters, the closer he can come. The moment we begin to take pieces of our life that we feel that is owed to us and we pull them back, the sacrifice, the struggle, the holiness, the purity, and we pull them back, the aroma of death minimizes. Even his own son 
naked on a cross, according to Ephesians, when Jesus died, the Bible says that even Jesus' own death was a sweet-smelling aroma to the Father. Do you hear what I'm saying? A.W. Tozer said this, every man is as full of the Holy Spirit as he wants to be. He may or may not be as full as he wishes he were, but he is most certainly as full as he wants to be. When the Holy Spirit fills a believer There are certain things that get annihilated in our life and certain things grow in our life. You get to determine the level of the tank of which you own and possess gets full. Quarter, half, three quarters, are completely full to running over. The level here is painful. It demands, it asks, it requires. And we typically look at those people as, oh, I wish I could be like them. And then we look into the dark and see death. Death to pride, death to ambition, death to hurt, death to entertainment choices that grieve God, death to inappropriate relationships, death to lying, death to stealing, Death to cursing, death to lot. Can I go on? It is at this point, to the degree of your death, that he takes a corpse that is empty of self and fills it. But that life is so uncomfortable that we mix them together. Half us, half him. At good church services, three quarters him, a quarter us. This woman here, I have the possibility of purchasing her dress. And some of y'all think, well, what's the big deal about that? It's a big deal. One of her dresses. Catherine Kuhlman. 
I so long, Karen, you and I were talking about last night, that somehow we have so many artifacts of God's generals here. We have just a museum room. I was able to hold her credit card not long ago. What else did we have in her? What else do we have? In her passport. <laughs> wanted to fall out in the Holy Ghost. Catherine Kuhlman said this one day while addressing a large crowd. She said, God has not given to me one thing that he will not give to any one of you, young people in this place, if you'll pay the price. God will use you exactly the same way. He will give to you absolutely everything that he's given to me if you will pay the price. She added, I would lie if I told you the price is cheap. Everything, everybody is out for a bargain these days, but God has no bargains. The cost of hosting a move of God is enormous. It is not cheap nor is it easy. And you must avoid all of us in this room trying to figure out how cheap of a price can I pay to retain. That is a poverty mindset. And eventually, one moment of compromise, and you begin to pay that price for that level of anointing, and you will assume that all is well, then you'll back off on this side. And then the price keeps getting lower and lower and lower until he says, I smell no more death. The only thing that keeps him here, not the only, but one of many things is that smell of death. For my eyes have roamed the whole earth, he said, trying to find a people, a person whose heart is completely empty and loyal to me. And he says, when I find that individual, I will show myself strong on their behalf. God has no bargains. What brought revival is required to keep revival. And it was utter death to everything in our lives that offended and grieved and quenched him. He will not compete with our agendas. He will give us always a space of grace but it is totally up to us of how long, how rich, how deep, how anointed, how effective the move of God is. And your flesh will get tired. And I commend you on all that you have done. 
you have sacrificed. But one day you will hear, well done. And it will all be worth it. Catherine Coleman ended by saying this. She said, Catherine Coleman died a long time ago. I know the day. I know the hour. I can go to the spot where Catherine Coleman died. Young preachers, to-be preachers and ministers, young missionaries, find you a place, clear you out a spot in your closets, at an altar, in a body of water, in the woods, and go there until all of you has completely died. And when your friends pull on you that you have lost life, being involved in a move of God and that you're sacrificing too much, may you have the spirit in the heart of Jim Elliot. Oh God, if you did all of this for me, that is written in that blessed book, then there is nothing I can do that will ever repay the debt I owe. David Brainerd lived only 27 years, but to this day we still talk about him. His goal was to reach the native Indians in America. And in his journal, 1746 of June 29th, he wrote this. Oh, for spirituality and holy fervency that I might spend and be spent for God to my latest moment. This is the posture of what it looks like to be truly baptized with the Holy Ghost. Stand to your feet.
he who wants to save his life must lose it. Jesus said that. He said, what profit will it be to gain the whole world and to lose your soul? You find it by losing it. Find it by losing. I need to die again today. I need to die fresh. I do. I need to simply just find a place, and this spot is as good as any for a few moments do business with God and say God infringe on every area of my life that offends you grieves you anything that I've pulled back for self preservation I pray God that you would help me give it back to you I lay my life down for you So I'm going to open up these altars today. Prodigals are coming home. The church is coming to renew, to be refreshed, to repent of whatever. But may the spirit of the Lord that infused inside the spirit of Jim Elliott, Catherine Coleman, David Brainerd, may that fire be ignited in us. So nothing fancy. So let's just open up the altars and come and let's kneel and lay our lives down and just say, God, May this be the place that Todd Smith died. Take it.
Thank you, Lord Jesus. Stand to your feet all across the room. fresh to overflowing with your Holy Spirit we die today fully completely Oh God. And everybody in the house said, Amen, amen. Put your hands together, magnify Him. Thank you, Lord. It's been good to be in the house of the Lord today. What a blessing, what a privilege. Don't forget that tonight at five o'clock, Pastor Jeff Lye will be with us for our revival, but prayers at five. Prayers at five. Now hold on for one moment, please, one moment. Father, I ask that you seal this message upon my heart. Thank you for your holy angels and your spirit. Thank you. Tonight at 6 o'clock, Revival, see you at 5. Thank you. Bless you.